This is Headshots, a mind-blowing exploration of gaming and psychology. With your hosts, Josue Cardona, an engineer-turned-mental health and ed-tech guru, and psychologist and game scholar, Dr. Kelly Dunlap. So when we went to PAX East a couple months ago, you gave a presentation that was the thing that told me, or that made me think, we, we finally, we, we need to do a gaming only podcast. Because I think, I think that um, part of, I mean, your whole presentation was good, um, but part of it really jumped out at me as, as talking about psychology and specifically mental health representation in video games, but in a way that I think, I think people aren't doing it, you know, and, and I think is, is a great way. So, so I want to touch on that uh, specifically. And, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. I do. I do. There's a, a, as you said, at PAX East, I had a panel and I actually just did it again at RTX uh, earlier this month, specifically on uh, what, how mental illness is represented in video games and how that's reflective of how society uh, views mental health and how it portrays uh, and accepts mental health stigma. So this is definitely an interesting area, you know, obviously for both of us as being mental health people and game people. And in my, I did this originally for some research in the, in the winter. And I was just, I, there was a lot of stuff that really surprised me. Probably one of the most shocking things is that I could only find one peer reviewed article that talked about the representation of mental health in video games, just one, a single one. And it was on Batman Arkham Asylum, which, as I said at the panel, I feel is a total cop-out. You don't have to reach very far to realize that Arkham Asylum has some mental health representation to it. So, uh, I, I mean, I did a study with it, and I did research, and I wrote a paper, and all that fun stuff. Uh, but I, I think probably the most exciting part about it for me was uh, I did a, a specific deep-dive case study on the Halo series, which I don't think people – think about as having a lot of mental health representation. I know I didn't until I started started searching for it. So what, what did you think when that kind of came up? Yeah, th- that that was the moment. When you started talking about the Marines and Halo specifically, I said, that that's our first episode. That's what I want. This is what I want um, our, our next show to be like. And and it was shocking for me too, because I if if we're competing, you know, if we're measuring Halo um, <laughs> fandom here, there is no I competition, dear. There John, is no competition here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm. Yeah, it's not a competition. But I, <laughs> I consider myself a big fan. You know, like I've, I've played. I stopped right uh, before four. I'm going through four now. But I played the games. I read the novels. I love bees. I could talk about for a really long time. <laughs> you know, that's like a big part of of my life. I feel, and I love those games. And I had. I never thought about the the Marines. And I, I mean, honestly, I'd like to say that I, I knew from day one, but I, I didn't. I started playing Halo when Combat Evolved came out in 2001. So uh, a long time, a long time ago. Yeah. And I've played every Halo game since, except for Halo Wars. Uh, RTSs just aren't my thing. But I, again, I, I've read the books. I listened to the podcasts, both Hunt the Truth and the Sparkcast. Uh, I'm very tight with lots of people at 343 Industries. Some of my good friends work there now. 
you know, I run a griffball league, which is a very Halo specific esports league. So I'm, I'm very, very closely tied to the Halo community, the fandom, the universe. And when I sat down to do this study, I really wasn't sure what I would find. And the fact that I could have played this game, specifically, I'm talking about Combat Evolved, I had been playing this game for 15 years almost at the time. And I had never thought about what we're going to talk about. So I, I'd like yeah. to say I was some kind of visionary, but it wasn't. It was a total accident. And I'm so excited to, to talk about it. Both, uh, as always, you can be critical and be a fan. So we're, I'm definitely going to try and walk that line because I, I can definitely fangirl out. But I'll try to, I'll try to keep it under control. Yeah, and, I, and I, I definitely want you to take the lead on this discussion because it was um, your study and you have so much good information. I, I do just want to clarify for our listeners, that we, or if you hear us talking just like out of context, it is we're talking about Marines. We're talking about space Marines in the year 2550 or so, right? Um, and not, not, you know, current um, Marines in the United States military, anything like that. So these are fictional characters in the future and... And, you know, part of the United Nations Space Command. Yes, the UNSC. The UNSC. So and one nice thing about having a, a game-specific podcast is I don't feel like I need to recap what Halo is, um, whereas on a previous podcast we might have needed to. But needless to say, it's placed in the Halo universe, which is a futuristic sci-fi universe where it's humans versus aliens. And uh, starting with Halo Combat Evolved, which was the very first game in the Halo series, again, came out in 2001 on the original Xbox – you play as Master Chief, which is a cybernetically enhanced human super soldier. That was, again, lots of lore. We could go into that. But getting right down into the the psychology and the mental illness representation of it, uh, a lot of times people will say, well, what about Mas Master Chief, the main character? You know, he was uh, taken as a child uh, and he's gone through all this trauma. He probably has PTSD or there's another main character, Cortana, who... Her entire arc is to de devolve into rampancy, which is basically a very different way of saying losing her mind, going insane. And so typically when people think about mental illness in Halo, that's kind of what they're talking about is a much more traditional, transparent uh, look at it. But what I found really interesting when I started looking at the Halo series was the way that mental illness was portrayed through the NPCs, the non-player characters, and in particular, the Marines. So... Uh, just kind of take you down, take you down the path. Uh, I was playing Combat Evolved, and I remembered that there was a Marine in a very small room before you met the Flood for the first time. And I'm not worried about spoilers, because again, this game is 15 years old. <laughs> um, so there's, you're walking through because you're Master Chief, and all of a sudden you come across this room, the door opens, there's a Marine sitting on the floor on the other side, and he is, he's just kind of yelling He's talking to himself, he's mumbling, he's yelling, he yells at you, and it's it's a very uh, interesting dynamic because all of the Marines up until this point, they've been, these NPCs have been your buddies. You know, you can swap weapons with them, they'll get in vehicles with you, like they're they're very good about helping you. And for those who try to be subversive in their play, and if you kill a Marine, they turn on you. So there's actually a, a penalty for being aggressive towards other humans. And this is true throughout all of the Halo, Halo games. But you come across this Marine who's obviously in some kind of psychological distress. Something has happened. At this point, you don't know what. And if you hang around long enough, he starts to shoot at you. Mm -hmm. 
which is, you know, you kind of have to stop and think there for a second. You know, okay, so he's now shooting at me. All right. So this is now escalated from yelling to shooting. And of course, as Master Chief, your options are to shoot back. You can shoot this Marine or you can you can move along. Those are your only two options in this in this portion of the game. You can't rescue him. You can't help him. You can't really do anything. So all of that kind of sets the foundation for examining how mental illness is being portrayed. Because somewhere along the line, somebody had to make the the conscious decision to have the Marine act this way because he acts 100% different from all the other Marines. You can't, you can't engage with him. He won't help you. You can't help him. There's no interaction. There's other than I think what triggers players in first person shooters is that if you're playing a first person shooter and something is shooting at you, what is your first instinct? Shoot back. Exactly. So you could actually make the argument that not only did they make a mentally ill character who's having some kind of psychological trauma, they then entice the player. They welcome the player to they, they encourage the player to kill the Marine. Yeah. Even though all the other Marines, if you kill them, you get in trouble. And I think it's worth noting the other Marines take a couple bullets. This one, you can shoot him in the toe, like just the very edge of his hitbox, and he dies with one shot. I tried it multiple times. I can verify with science. (laughs) So here we have a Marine who's acting different from the others, who you interact with differently from the others. And the only discernible difference between him and the others is that he's having some kind of psychological issue. And oh, the the last point that I always like to bring up is uh, in Halo, there's a, a radar. So in the bottom left of your screen, there's a little radar and it lets you know whether there's a friend or a foe and how close they are. So if they're an enemy, they come up red. If they're a friend, they come up yellow. Sometimes they come up blue, depending on the game you're playing. But it makes it very clear that, OK, here are friendlies and here are enemies. And this character in particular doesn't come up at all. He is he is not on the radar so it's it's like he doesn't even exist in in this universe, and he's also you know we're going to repeat this in in other Halo games in the future, but this is the only game where they seem to have put enough thought into it where there's actually a backstory to why he's there. Yes, and you see that in the recording. You know, you mm-hmm. see him escape from battle and run away because he's scared um, when they encounter the flood for the first time. Right. So you get to see what happened for him to get to that point so it is surprising it is surprising to me that so much thought was put into it he's even i mean they even go through this in the in the novelization of of the game you know that this whole experience so it's kind of fleshed out and then there is he doesn't appear on the radar and there is no there's no consequence to it, he almost doesn't matter Right? Right. Or he doesn't because you could leave him. You don't have to kill him. You could just walk by him, get ignore him. And if you do kill him or not, there's no there's no consequence whatsoever. Yeah. And I, I think that's a one of the most important things about this is that not only is there no consequence to killing this Marine when there is every other, but you're actually encouraged to kill him. I mean, the fact that he's weaker, you, you can't – what's the word I'm looking for? There's no moment to stop and reflect. There's no moment where – uh, with the other Marines, if you hit them, let's say with friendly fire, you know, they go, hey, man, watch watch your radar or watch where you're shooting or I'm, I'm one of the good guys. You know, they, they say something that reminds you that, hey, these are these are your teammates. And that's usually why they can take more than one hit. Whereas this Marine, there's no chance for second chances. 
you know, you pull that trigger once and it's over and it's done. And that's all there is to it. There's no opportunity for reflection or consideration or, or anything like that. So, I, and again, that I, I always like to emphasize games are intentionally designed. So somebody had to make this interaction. Somebody had to sit down and hard code this interaction, not to mention like the voice actors and the animators. And so there's tons of people who are, are seeing this as, you know, like you mentioned, it comes out later. He went through an incredibly traumatic experience and is basically in, in psychological shock, but it's okay to treat him like crap. Either like he doesn't exist or that he's expendable, which is not both. true of, but yeah, yeah both, which is not yeah. true of any of the other uh, characters in the game. Yeah. So that was my first, uh, my first dabble. And again, that was a character I, I knew I could remember uh, because I, I, I do remember from playing through the first time that it was so strange that this Marine was shooting at me. I just thought yeah. that was so weird. I didn't put two and two together at the time, but I, I thought that was so strange and so that's also yeah. 15 years ago, right? Like to put right. that into context, it's a 15 year old game. Uh, I was, I was 15 years old. So, <laughs> so, you know, I've come a long way. I'd like to think. And, uh, but yeah, so that, that was Halo, Halo one. And then the next time you really see, uh, the, and I think it's interesting. This Marine is titled a wall Marine. So if you wanted to look him up on say Wikipedia or Halopedia, it'd be a W O L Marine. That's kind of his designation that he's, Absent without leave, I think is what AWOL stands yeah. for. Yep. Now, oh, one yeah. thing that I wasn't clear on is because he's also referred to as Paranoid Marine in some places. Like, is that is that the community that gave these Marines those names or was that in the credits? I actually don't know. But now okay. I'm really curious. Um, yeah. Because I couldn't, I couldn't find – I couldn't find that. Like, like you said, in, in the Wikia and in the Halopedia, they have very specific names, um, each of them. But But yeah, I don't know where it came from. Well, I guess I got to go play uh, some Halo CE. Just look at the credits. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Beat the yeah. game and go through the credits. Because, I mean, you, you talked about Paranoid Marine. That's actually the next Marine we meet in the Halo series who's having psychological issues. Uh, specifically, it's in Halo 3. So there was nothing in Halo 2, which is awesome because that happens to be my favorite. Uh, but in Halo 3, there's a Marine. And for the Halo fans out there, he is right after you pick up the flamethrower. So when you're when the flood crashed down and you're having to fight them off and you're on the way to the, like the big turret gun and you pick up the flamethrower and you're fighting the flood right after you pick up the flamethrower there is uh, I'm sorry the suicidal marine that is that is what he's called so yeah. Yeah. even even his name is more you know they're not hiding anything they're not pretending this doesn't exist yeah so what's interesting with this particular guy is he does show up on your radar as a friendly which is great that's a that's a change. Uh, that that I appreciated, uh, but he uh, he depending if you play a couple times, sometimes he's holding a gun to his head and sometimes he's just holding his hand to his head. So you can play through a couple times and you'll get a different outcome. Uh, I, I think it's random. I'm pretty sure it's just random. But his entire conversation is about how he saved them, he helped them, he put them out of their misery. You know they were coming and so he took care of them and of course the the scene is set he, there's dead marines at his feet so the implication is that they were attacked by the flood he experienced the psychological trauma of going through such an attack and ended up turning and killing his his squad mates which is awful and terrible and not not a good thing at all and then when you come upon him he's kind of 
reiterating those words, reiterating that thought process while holding a gun to his head, or, you know, sometimes it's just, just his fist. And again, it's interesting because you can't interact with him in any way. You can't swap weapons. The other Marines are following you through that, that bulk, uh, bulk work hallway, but you can't do anything with him. You can't help him. You can't trade weapons. You can't get him to come on your team. He's, he's just there and there's nothing you can do. And again, and it is acute. I mean, he's he, he's loud, right? It's not like you come across him and then it triggers an action. Once you enter that room, oh, you hear even him. Even if you don't see him, you hear him. Yeah, and and he, the way he's, um, it seems like he's narrating the events again, right? Which implies that he's kind of reliving the experience over and over again. Mm-hmm. And and again, the reason why he's a suicidal marine, right? He's got that gun to his head, and he says, "There's a, there's." He talks about how he. He saved them, and he he makes a mention of how maybe I should save myself. Yes, right? and in the context of what he's saying, right, like he killed them, so he's talking about possibly killing himself as as a mercy, right? And so, yeah, it's he's just there in that corner contemplating this, and you, all you can do is watch. Yeah, the, this idea that you're completely helpless. You can save the world from an alien invasion. You can save the world from intergalactic space zombies. But here is somebody who's feeling suicidal and there's nothing you can do about it. You are completely helpless, uh, although you can't kill him. And again, there's no retribution from the other Marines. Or from the game in general. There's no consequence right. whatsoever. Uh, again, even, again. Yeah, uh, positive or negative. Yeah. I mean, a game where if you killed another Marine, if you if you killed one of the ones who was following you, you would get in trouble. But killing this guy is not a big deal because – I guess he's not as not as important, not as valuable a member uh, of society. So that one is, you know, very, very clear in its uh, presentation. And again, I'll say it a million times more. He was intentionally designed to be that way. And again, for I know I speak for myself and probably Josue as well. I never really thought about it the first time I played through. You know, the first time I'm playing through, I'm Master Chief and I'm trying to save the world and I've got my flamethrower and I don't really have time for for him and his ranting. And, you know, I just kind of go right on past. But, you know, somebody made that decision that this person was going to be here and this is what he was going to say. And they wrote dialogue and they recorded dialogue and they made sure that he couldn't interact with anybody else. And that's just... That's just the way he he was made. He was made differently from all the other Marines. And the only thing that is different is that he went through some kind of psychological trauma. Yeah. So, again, huge fangirl. <laughs> just just going <laughs> to uh, point that out. But obviously not, not really the warmest, fuzziest feeling in terms of representing people who have been through trauma. And that's Halo 3. Yep. Then there's also the uh, the paranoid marine in halo reach now this guy's a little bit different from the others mostly because he's an easter egg and Josue, maybe you can help me process this i can't figure out which is quote unquote better because uh, on one hand the halo one marine the awol marine and the halo three marine suicidal marine you have to go past them there's no way to advance in the level without going past these characters even if you just run by them you you have to see them Whereas the in Halo Reach, the paranoid Marine, he is an Easter egg. So you actually have to go out of your way to find him. So on one hand, I appreciate that, you know, you're not being forced to look at this representation that's not very good. But on the other hand, you know, at least with Halo 1 and Halo 3, 
at least you're somewhat reminded that this can actually happen and there can be detrimental effects to war, uh, as opposed to something like an Easter egg, which is a reward unto itself. So it's like, hey, here's your reward for looking through the level, a crazy person who's going to rant and rave. Good job. So yeah, I, I, I actually don't quite know how I feel about that. Is there a skull there? Is there anything? Nope, it's just him. For an achievement? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, it's um, it is strange, and and specifically, what what he's um, what does he say? Like, what is it that you come across? What is the Easter egg? He is terrified. He is ranting. He's yelling. He is pacing back and forth, talking about how they're going to come and get them, and they're not going to survive, and no one's going to escape. Uh, so it's a, a little bit more terrified, like fear-induced, than, say, Suicidal Marine, who is obviously blatantly more uh, suicidal and, and self-harm in nature. And you can stand there and watch him pace back and forth. Uh, he does show up as a friendly on your radar, which is always good, but you can kill him with absolutely no consequence. And again, he's sequestered in a dark corner by himself, and you have to seek him out. Yeah, and the... like. T- We'll go further into like what all this might mean, right? But um, this one's interesting because Reach is a prequel, and yes. part of what he says is like, "Oh, we're fighting aliens now! Like, what is this? Like, just the shock of coming across something unimaginable, mm-hmm. right? Because the other games take place like you're always fighting aliens, right? Um, with Reach, it's the again whether it's an Easter egg or not is just strange." But it does show this side of, of like, well, what would it be like for somebody to come across something like an alien race, um, an, an aggressive, you know, alien race that's attacking you? And, and how would that affect people? There's a, there's a cut scene. I'm pretty sure it's in Halo 3 right before uh, you get in the tank to go across the bridge. And uh, Sergeant Johnson is there. And there's a couple Marines there. Um, and there's a, a male Marine. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. This is right after uh, the Scarab. So Halo 2. Uh, and the Marine says, you know, they, they were wiped out. They killed them all, sir. And they would have got us too. We need to run or something to that uh, to that effect. And Sergeant Johnson you know, puts his hand on the Marine's shoulder and goes, you know, you hurt Marine? And he says, no, sir. Well, then, you know, man up and let's go take this thing down. Let's go take down this Scarab. And that's kind of what it reminds me of, of, you know, you can be afraid, but now you have to man up because we're being invaded by aliens, but we can't be afraid. We have to go kill things and kick in doors and be manly men. Manly men. <laughs> so, yeah, there's there's no room for fear. There's no room for hesitation. There's no room for, for any of that. And I, mean, I do understand it, it's it's a war zone, you know, yeah. soldiers are trained and, and whatnot, but it definitely uh i don't think rises to the level of being a mental health representation but just kind of the idea that fear in the characters does appear in the halo series but there's really no way to actually interact with the fear that other characters are experiencing yeah and the intentionality of the one in halo reach um is also again the intention of the creators i'm not sure what it is because he's not just shaking in a corner somewhere he's also talking about possibly killing himself, right? Um, at least that's the way I understood it, because he's saying, no, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out of this. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of implies, tell. yeah, it doesn't say it specifically, mm-hmm. but it kind of implies that 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 same idea. At least that's the way I interpret it. Right. And there's also one in ODST, which, yep. uh, again, this one's probably the softest of all of them. There is um, 
I can't remember the name of the level, but you're in a warthog the entire time and you're you know, swooping around and, and saving the world and what whatnot. And you come across uh, not quite an Easter egg because it's pretty obviously placed, but you can go through the level without ever seeing it. So it's kind of in the middle of between being intentionally placed and being Easter egg placed. And it's a Marine who's had a physical injury. His leg is broken at some kind of bizarre angle. And there's two medic Marines who are standing over him. And if you stop uh, stop and talk and listen to the conversation, the wounded Marine is delirious. Not sure. I mean, it could just be from the pain. So, again, it might not rise to the level of a mental illness. But, you know, he is talking about the animals and they're all animals in a zoo. And it's all one big cage. It's all one big cage. It's very uh, existential crisis-y kind of thing. So it could be medication. It could be the pain. Uh, but at the end of the dialogue, the two medics just kind of stand there and again, you can kill him with no repercussions. So, well, one of the medics t- tells him, Hey man, you got to relax. Just relax. Ugh. <laughs> yep. Cause that's all you got to do. Just got to yeah. relax. Again, Just, it's uh, like it's like the man up thing, right? It's like, oh, you're going through a thing? Relax. Have you tried not having a broken leg? Have you tried relaxing? Yes, with your broken leg. So again, I don't think it quite uh, rises to the level of, say, mental illness representation. But again, the idea that somebody is in distress, they're having uh, unique psychological experiences, and it's treated at, in a very, um, what's the word? I don't know, even though, like, uh, kind of like a throwaway like, um, yeah, I can't yeah. find the word for it, but I'm, I'm trying. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the way we're talking about it, we're, these aren't, um, you can't diagnose somebody based on 30 seconds of dialogue or 10 oh, no. seconds of dialogue in a thing. Right. So, so that we're not talking about actual diagnosis. We're talking about representations of different symptoms and different qualities that you may find, right. Uh, after traumatic events and things like that. And so obviously that's four characters in four different games in a very long-running series, somebody in there thinks that this should be okay. Right. So now, now, now we're assuming, right? Right. <laughs> right. Um, somebody made the decision to 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 do this. Right. We don't know if it was the same person. Um, you know, it. There isn't anything in in five. Right. So or in Not that four, I saw. four. Right. So, you know, who knows. You know what's going on. I I honestly don't know of anything like this in Destiny. So it's not like you know it's somebody a bungee maybe who is doing this kind of thing. And but but thinking about why you would do that is is interesting because a part of me thinks ah, that there are so many games that glorify war and battles, right, and only show the action part of it. Even when death is involved, it's just either a respawn or a throwaway too, right? Like you, you know, half the people on the battlefield died, but who cares? You got to the end of the level. Congratulations. You did it. Yeah. And it doesn't really (laughs) – achievement, achievement, achievement. And there's no discussion about the horrors of war or how so many people come out of battles negatively affected, right? And – I'm not going to cite statistics as to how many people come back with, you know, whatever, but but I think it's it's under, understood, you know, that you're seeing a lot of messed up stuff and it can have different effects on different people. So, a part of me thinks it's fantastic that these games take a at least a moment 
even if it's an Easter egg and you have to go out of your way <laughs> for that one time to address that to a certain extent. Um, but I have mixed feelings about the about the whole thing. Yeah, and there's the games like Call of Duty. There was one. There's so many Call of Duty games I, I get confused, but they had a basically a PTSD mode that you could unlock, where the the character experiences quote unquote PTSD symptoms. There's also uh, an indie game that got a lot of attention called Spec Ops: The Line, which was yeah. about kind of the the horrors of war and how that does have an impact psychologically or can have an impact on on people. And there's different outcomes, and I I won't spoil it because I'm still somewhat relatively new. Um, that, well, not not really, but but games like those two examples and something like Eternal Darkness, right? Those are games where you you as the player experience something, right? right. Related to this, to, to related to mental health um, issues and and battle and war and and conflict. But the and there there are possibly even fewer games that do that. But there's there's something about seeing it, right? And having you be a an observer, being forced to well, I mean, you can't you can't participate. It's a it's a really bad option that you have, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, again, like, what does what does that are they are were the creators trying to say something? You know, I mean, I'm guessing there was a switch that you could hit so that your bullets would not kill these characters, right? There could have been a press X to soothe button, you know, or or A to soothe, right, or something like that. Um, or so send in an options. extraction team, you know, get yeah. a medic. Metal Gear, metal, metal Gear Solid style, where you just like evac them, yeah, uh, with a balloon, um, or just tag them, right? Somebody will come help you. You know, that's an extra line of dialogue, um, and and I think I think that's what makes me think the most about. For, first of all, you're showing something that I think is important to show. Unfortunately, it is completely without context and without consequence. Right. So, like so many things that we see in in games, what what do you do with that? And so, if you look up these titles, if you look up Wounded Marine, AWOL Marine, Suicidal Marine, um, you will find the clips from where they are in the games. You'll find um, very few things written about them, um, but not a lot of discussion in, in in broader terms and what that means and, and and what it means within that world. I think that if you if you go deep and you read the comics, you you listen to the to the podcast, you listen to um or, or you read the books, you know, there's way more there and, and they you flesh out these characters, but the majority of people are just gonna experience this game. Um I think it's I think it's interesting that you are an armored super soldier. Right, mm-hmm. so your experience is very different than these guys who are all, um, like they're, they're, they have they're wearing no armor whatsoever and don't have the genetic engineering or the training that you received. They, they you know? have they have armor. They're wearing they're wearing Kevlar. Yeah, but I mean, but you are. They're, they're armor not is like yeah, yeah, it's just they're not wearing Mjolnir. No. <laughs> yeah, they, they might as well be naked. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> There's 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 a lot to I think um, digest right and again and then those other examples something like Spec Ops um, I think like I really really enjoyed the gameplay of Spec Ops mm-hmm. and what it does is it makes you it makes you think it makes you think a lot it is very very good at that and it it 
it forces you to make decisions in the game and you reflect upon them afterwards. And that game alone is like worth a whole discussion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we're obviously we're not going to dive into that. No, but it's, no. It, it's a good counterpoint to Halo, which is not necessarily yeah. it, it's not designed to make you think about your choices in, in that way. You yeah. know, when we talked at the beginning about how game design is reflective of societal norms, you know, for example, nobody, nobody flinched when they saw the AWOL Marine or the suicidal or not that I know of, you know, at the suicidal Marine or, or the, the paranoid Marine, you know, that was just something that it seems normal within that context and not out of place at all. The fact that, you know, in the Halo 1, the Marine doesn't show up on the radar. You know, that seems like a really small thing. But when you look at it in the larger context of the game itself, and then, you know, well, what is what does that mean? And, you know, this is a deep dive. We are splitting hairs. We're really digging in to it because it was intentionally designed that way. And so the fact that the game company made AWOL Marine, or at that point, Bungie made AWOL Marine that way. He was presented that way. He was given a backstory about being traumatized. And then the players play through the game. And, you know, it just it just felt normal. And I'll admit that to myself. Like, I, I never really thought about it critically until I went back and intentionally was looking for something like that. And I think that that says a lot about what we as a society think of as normal uh, in terms of, of mental health. You know, so for example, there is a, a game, Manhunt 2. It actually got a lot of negative feedback for the very first level, which is a character waking up in a, in a mental hospital, uh, of course. And basically going to get out of the hospital, you have to murder patients and you watch patients murdering doctors. And it's all very gruesome and graphic and horrible. And there was a, a mental health um, advocacy group who asked for it to be recalled because the portrayal was so awful. But that's really the only the only incidents that I've come across in my research about people having uh, an objection to the portrayal of mental illness in video games. Even though there's a lot of really terrible ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think... That a game, and the, the reason why I was talking about Spec Ops is just because I, I think that the gameplay is really good, and Halo is known for being a good game, right? A good series of games. and I think I, so. Yeah. <laughs> so I wonder how many games that maybe aren't so good try to address something like this, but just because they're not good, nobody plays them, you know? It kind of, what, what falls, I mean, you know, Bungie didn't know that Halo would be such a huge hit. But after the first one, they, they knew, you know, a lot of people are going to play this game. People are going to see this. It's just there's something about that, right, about knowing that this, this quality product has that in there. And what, what do we do with that? Well, and there's also a big difference between a AAA game studio and an indie dev. You know, the, the goal of Halo is to entertain and to tell the story of Master Chief. Spec Ops The Line was intentionally designed to be a disruptive piece of art. It, it was a commentary on the, you know, Iraq and uh, on the Iraq war on OEF and OIF. So, I mean, they had, they had very different missions from very different companies. And so it's, I find it pretty much impossible to to compare them. Other but, than to say you can't you can have representations in games that are meaningful or you know representations which are as meaningful as you know the cornice or you know the art deco style on the wall yeah but spec ops um 
it's I, I I'd never think about it as a and I'm not sure it would be considered necessarily an indie game because it is it is pretty high quality. Nolan North does the voice um, of the main character. And it's again, it's like there there's a lot of production value there um, regardless. And I don't know, there's there's no really a, a point that I'm, I'm trying to get at here. But oh, yeah, actually, there is a point. The point <laughs> was that um, I, I think it's really hard to talk about these issues without that foundation of just a really good game. Right. 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 Because that may have been their mission, but they made a great game, you know, that was well reviewed and and there were there were high praises for it. And because it played well, it kind of that mission that they may have had kind of it it's kind of sneaks up on you <laughs> because you're actually having fun with all these other mechanics and then you start going see, I I think there's a really important discussion to have around do you did you kill the Marine and why did you do it? And most most of the time it's, well, he was shooting at me or I just wanted to see if I could, right? It's a game. Right. You're just trying stuff out. But but there's a there's a further discussion, right? It's someone like you and I who have replayed the games, you I'm sure way more than I have, right? You replay <laughs> them over and over again. Like what do you what do you do when you see him again? Do you ignore him? Do you think about that? Is there a consideration? Did it make you think about something else? There's a there's a lot of potential there. To address the, like, I, I believe in positive and negative examples of things in video games. As long as it's there, I think, you know, it's great because then we can talk about it. Right. I think these are, again, I can see the positive of just showing some sort of representation. Like when war movies started showing the horrors of war, they're very different than war movies that were all you know, comedies and happy stuff and and no one lost a limb and, and they were Uber very, patriotism. Yeah, and, and non-realistic, you know? And then, but to be able to have this, like, um, I've, I, I don't know if I mentioned to you, I love this one scene in, or I love the fact that in Grand Theft Auto V, you go see a therapist as part of the game. Yeah, Dr. Isaiah Friedlander. He's horrible, you know, the but that's a- therapist <laughs> ever. But, he's, but that's a great conversation piece. Oh, yeah. Right? It's like, oh, you remember that therapist? That's how not to do things. Let me start a list <laughs> with all of the reasons why. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's- But it's can't... a conversation that you can have- uh, more freely because Grand Theft Auto Five is one of the best-selling games ever. Yeah, you you can't have a conversation about something that's not there, and yeah. you can't have a conversation about something that somebody really hasn't gone that nobody through. played or nobody right. saw. Yeah. So I mean, even even talking about you know Halo as huge of a as a game franchise as it is, if you haven't played the series, this is probably a more difficult conversation to to follow along with. Whereas if you've played through Halo Combat, Combat Evolved and you remember AWOL Marine. You know, it probably makes a lot more sense. And hopefully you're now curious to go back through and, and, and fact check us and, and see what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so good good or bad, I think I think that's why uh, in my presentations, too, I try to emphasize that I'm not talking about good representation or bad representation. Just is there representation? Because, again, there's so little research and information about how mental illness is even portrayed in video games. All we really know is that it actually is really frequent. Uh, other, say, minority or vulnerable populations, women, minorities, there's a lot of conversation about how they are not at all represented. And when they are represented, they tend to be non-playable or incredibly stereotyped in, into these really tiny boxes. Mental illness, on the other hand, is in a ton of games. I mean, pretty much anything in the horror genre is going to take advantage of mental illness 
whether in the characters, in the dialogue, in the settings, like an asylum, uh, you know, or the mechanics of the game itself, like sanity meters. Mm-hmm. But there, and then there's tons of uh, other games like Skyrim, you know, the, the Khajiit are addicted to skooma. Or in Bioshock, you have the, uh, you know, the, oh gosh, the people who are addicted to Adam. Splicers, there we go. I can't believe I blanked on their name. You know, these people are, you know, a representation of what addiction looks like. So it's it's everywhere, but there's just not any kind of way of talking about it or um, even kind of analyzing it. And that's, so that's kind of why I did my presentation. That's why I did the deep dive into, into Halo in particular, because that's a franchise that I, I know so, so well. And that's what I found is that you have to really dig into these games to find these representations. So, for example, I was reading the synopsis of Grand Theft Auto V. It has nothing to do, it doesn't even mention uh, Dr. Friedlander at all. I only knew about him because a friend who had played asked if I had seen it. And so it's it's really tough because, again, if you were to read a synopsis for Halo or, or pretty much any game, it's not going to point out these minor representations that are of mental illness or psychological difficulties. So that just adds another layer of complexity because you have to play the game and not just a little bit, but really dig into these games to find these representations, which makes studying them and understanding them even harder. Something like Grand Theft Auto, actually, when you finish the game, so you have to finish the story mode through, you know, all three characters, the whole thing. You get an evaluation at the end that makes a – it's kind of like a personality assessment based on your actions throughout the game. <laughs> all right? Now, that is – if that is happening in the – what again, one of the best-selling video games of all time, that is such a great opportunity for us for so many people to have a conversation about what what that means and how how inaccurate that's going to be <laughs> first of all you know but how that a personality assessment is a thing that people talk about and the thing that people get something that psychologists do and that your you know what behavior means and all these type of things and that's that's just a part of the game and how often do people talk about that right well, I mean, it depends. If we're talking about the Myers-Briggs, apparently everybody knows what their INJQRPS is or whatever. But this is based um, on like how many people you ran over and how many people you yeah, shot and who like you your actions. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, which is like a fascinating topic. Well, and, and you think about Telltale games that tell you at the end of each chapter, you know, 70% of people did this, 82% yep. of people did that, just like you, which yep. is a super interesting way of – and people love those stats. I mean, that's one of the most exciting things yep. about the Telltale series is people love seeing how their actions compare to other people's actions. Yep. And I'm not quite sure if there's necessarily a clinical value to that, but just getting the idea that not everybody makes the same decisions that you do, I think, is is inherently valuable. Yeah, just like, yeah, not, you know, taking the clinical part out of it, just, you know, human behavior study in general. It's it's really cool. Like, I, I've wondered how many people shot the AWOL Marine, how many people, um, or, or who just... Which know, time? Exactly, exactly, <laughs> right? Or like, where'd you shoot him? Or did you just hit him? Or did you walk away? Or did you try to help him? Like, what what happened? Um or I think it, I think it'll be interesting to see that in context, absolutely. right? At the end, like, oh... You know, you and fifty percent of people also killed the the AOL Marine. Yeah. Or I was thinking about the the Walking Dead game, and there was an option where you had the choice to. Gosh, it's been so long since I played it. You could save the female character that was with you, or you could save the male character that was with you. Yep, in the pharmacy. 
Uh, yeah, in the pharmacy. Yeah, yeah. And I know when I played through, I saved the female character because, you know, go go ladies. But it was something ridiculous about 97% of people saved her. And that to me was so fascinating that you have all these people from all these different experiences playing this game. I mean, we're talking a, an, an enormous sample size, but the vast majority are saving the female character. Now, there could be a lot of reasons for that. I mean, one, it could be that the guy was really kind of useless, if I remember right. He was kind of whiny and not the most helpful, where she at least seemed competent. Uh, but on the other hand, it could be that, you know, it's not unusual in American culture to see the woman is the damsel and the one that you you ethically should save and a man should save himself for, you know, any kind of social processing on, on that level, too. So it's impossible to... to dictate why people made that decision. Um, but I think that would be a fascinating study is having people sit down, play through The Walking Dead, and have uh, one of those decision points there and then ask people why they made that decision. Be able I would to be, reflect immediately. Yeah, yeah. I would be fascinated to know, you know, do you, who did you save and, and why? Like, what is your processing? Especially considering how fast you have to make those decisions. So yeah. You only have about five seconds, I think, to to make a decision. So you're really getting... Not these high ethical, philosophical ponderings, but much more guttural gut reactions. Yeah, that's one of those moments that kind of goes on forever because the the game doesn't have a default uh, setting necessarily. Mm -hmm. So I, forever may be incorrect, but it does give you a while to kind of think about who you're going to save um, in, in a, which is, again, that kind of takes you out of it. But I remember, I remember thinking a lot like I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't decide which one I wanted to save and I ended up playing it twice and saying saving each of them separately <laughs> but but that just shows that I, there was so long between playing the game the first time and the second time that that decision stayed with me enough that I remembered the second right. time I played through and I was like oh I remember I chose her like let me just try this to see how the story plays out yeah, because I mean, sometimes the decisions are 50-50 or, or split pretty evenly, which to me is not nearly as interesting. Uh, but when you get those really big skews of like 70 or greater percent, you're like, okay, there's there's got to be something bigger going on. There has to be some kind of under, psychological underpinning or sociological underpinning that is moving these massive amounts of people to make the same decision. Because whether you choose character NPC A or NPC B, I mean, that's really a coin flip. But so I would expect around, you know, between 60 and 40 percent. And that's about it. So yeah. when you see these massive movements, there's obviously something going on at a deeper level. And so I think that's what you see with the AWOL Marine and whether or not you shoot him. That's what you see in uh, games like Telltale, where you get to make decisions and then you're shown the consequences of those decisions. Yeah, I saw um, on a forum post that uh, Marty O'Donnell answered and said that when you leave the AWOL Marine, he shoots him. Like he, he said that he shoots himself when you leave if you don't kill him. Which, I mean, the player has no way of, of knowing because there's no... Exactly, exactly. Like once, once you're through the door, you can't go back. Yeah, so and you don't actually hear anything. No. Um, so, so it was weird. Like they thought about it to that, to that level. But I'm just curious because um, I would... I, I, so when, when I finished playing Grand Theft Auto V, I replayed the end and recorded some of the things that had to do with going to therapy. Just this whole scene with whole families in the car and they're like, yeah, let's go to... Let's go back to Dr. Freeland. Let's, let's go, go to, to the, therapy. Yeah. yeah. And I recorded all that. And um, But then I, I reached out to... To Rockstar, 
because I, I wanted to speak to somebody so badly about why they did that and, and who made those decisions and, and how did that come about. And I never got a response. But um, I would love to do the same thing with uh, people at 343 and even Bungie now, um, you know, who, who may have been involved in those decisions. Like, what, what would you ask them? Oh, geez. Well, one, finding somebody would be a miracle. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I have I have faith. <laughs> One I, I, day. Yeah, no, I would I would love to sit down with the people who are involved with the decision with especially suicidal marine because I feel like he is the most obvious mm-hmm. of of the options there, and you know ask like okay what because from what I understand and from reading the lore the idea is that the interactions with the flood are so traumatizing that they break minds. That's yeah. it's supposed to increase their scariness or at least that's kind of what the lore. Uh, implies but i mean the idea that sometimes he has a gun to his head and sometimes he doesn't that seems like a really weird game mechanic to to play with i mean that's that's more code you know whether the gun is appearing or not like why would you even make that decision or that it's randomized right (laughs) or that yeah or that it's randomized and you know i i would just be really curious to to hear them kind of expound upon upon it and you know, deciding on what do you say, what do you not say, what do you leave to the player's imagination, and you know, wh- why can't I trade weapons? Because he's, I think he's, I mean, he's got a pistol. Sometimes I need a pistol. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- th- sometimes you thing, just need a pistol. You know. And the other thing is, I mean, three four three didn't have, and the the th- uh, four instances where there was somebody, including ODST, that was all Bungie made. So three four three hasn't. Sure. But, well, um, I mean, but there's so many Bungie people at 343 now. That's there, what I mean. There are a lot. Uh, yeah. Although you could make the argument that this arc of Cortana devolving into rampancy is... 343. Well, it, well, there's not even an argument. It, it is 343. Yeah. Uh, but just this idea that... Uh, I remember in Halo 4... Was it Halo 4? I'm not going to let you leave this planet? Or was that Halo 5? It was 4. Okay, yeah, I thought so. Four. You know, that that was her big explosive moment and with her losing it and it's it's gonna be an interesting to see how they how they resolve it but and as opposed to having smaller bits and pieces that are more subtle i will be interested to see how 343 continues to deal with cortana's mental instability and how that how that resolves because i one nice thing about the original trilogy and including odst is we know how it resolves we know we know the end of that arc, and so we can see it as a complete picture. Uh, so you know we know that AWOL Marine has no bearing whatsoever on the game. We know that Suicidal Marine has no bearing whatsoever on the game or in the universe. Whereas we don't. I mean, Cortana is going to have some kind of bearing. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I'm imagining I'm imagining a giant boss battle uh, bearing, but it's <laughs> you know at this point it's pretty much impossible to say because we don't know where they're going to take it. Yeah, I, I would like to know if there was somebody either championing it or really pushing for that to be in the game, or if the person who kind of came up with the idea just kind of, you know, if they found resistance or not to do that, if that was kind of one person or, or, or a team thing. Well, the the rampancy of AI is a really well-established, old, old thing. So I don't think it was something that was well, just come up off the top of your head, but yeah. Well, I'm I'm, I'm asking specifically about the individual marines. Like, oh, I, I keep, individual. Okay. I keep I keep thinking back to Combat Evolved, where there's a flashback sequence where you see the guy running out. You know, like there was so much detail there, where out of all of the examples, you know, ex- except Cortana now, um, he, he was fleshed out. They never give him a name. Nope. You know, but but there was still he had a backstory. 
there was there was a story there, you know? And you knew his team from before and you see him bantering with the with his team and you know, and then you see him get so scared that he he runs away. So like I, I think about like maybe there was a person there who really wanted to do something like that. But I wonder if it was a lot of people. And I wonder mm-hmm. what, what kind of conversations happened around that. Because to me it's weird that Marty O'Donnell was able to answer a question about that that thing, like that that specific moment. Yeah, you know? Marty O'Donnell, for those who might not know, was the uh, lead composer for the Halo franchise under Bungie. Yeah. And I mean, I know he has like some – he was involved in – different ways right but essentially he was the composer and so it just it just shows that so many different you know it's something that people knew about at the company so i'm i would love to hear all about that and how that came to be and and how it came up again well actually you just made me think that in halo 5 there's a portion when you're playing on Locke's team and cortana is uh, trying to like I don't know, mentally break the team or discourage them or something. And she goes into uh, the character Val's back history. And apparently that's, you know, like childhood trauma and abuse and and I think abusive father or something like that. So there's, I have to go through and play again because I, I haven't touched that in a while. And now I'm really curious because that might be another example of uh, psychological representation or at least information about some kind of, of trauma that a character has experienced while Val, I mean, obviously is amazing and competent. So it, it might be a representation that has positive connotations to it. I'll tell you, the, the last thing I'll say is that one, the reason why I'm, I'm kind of fascinated about this is because I know of psychologists and mental health experts being consulted upon for different types of projects, whether it be TV, comic books, movies, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I always wonder... Where did this come from? Did this come from? Like, did you? Did you? Was it as important to you? Was it important enough to you to go out and double check things, or did you just kind of go off, um, try to? Like I'm assuming in most horror movies, it's just like, oh, there's a trope that's really cool. Let's do that. And 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 how many of them are really intentional and well thought out, and right. and have more? Even if it's just a, a two second experience, how much of it was? You know how much thought was put into it, and 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 how much understanding was there that this could potentially mean something to people and to you know mental health representation in general. Yeah, how much research was done, or was it more kind of like off the cuff of hey, let's let's throw in a crazy person to show just yeah. how scary the flood are? You know, was it a, yeah. an intentional decision? Was it a tool? Was it a device? No, mm-hmm. absolutely. I think that's a really good question. Yeah. Ooh. Well, one day. <laughs> 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 all right. Well, I think that is it for our uh, our episode here on Headshots. Hope you all enjoyed our deep dive into the Halo universe and to a little bit broader topic of mental health representation in video games. So if you have any examples, uh, we would love to hear them. And, uh, you know, I, I know when I've done this talk at the panels, I've gotten some really, really great suggestions like To the Moon, uh, Psychonauts, ones like that that I'm, I'm still working on. So uh, be sure to let us know on Twitter or on uh, on our, our web presence. What, what is our website, Hostway? Headshotspodcast.com. Woo! Look at that. Uh, great. And I think, that's, uh, I think that's it. Do I Do I need to say my catchphrase? You can if you want. Boom! Headshot! Ha <laughs> ha